day three of the Confident Challenge, and every day I'm chatting with a different entrepreneur about just their perspective and their journey and what they've learned in business. And so today I'm chatting with Megan Van Grohl, the founder of Evoke and Engage. And Megan, you want to go ahead and introduce yourself and tell everyone kind of what you do? Sure. Um, so as Ash mentioned, I uh, created a social media agency um, about, I guess, almost two years ago um, after I got laid off from a corporate marketing job. And my background before that was in agencies, um, but I just sort of figured when that happened and I decided to um, go off on my own rather than get another like nine to five, um, you know, it made sense to kind of start out by freelancing and consulting. Um, and sort of before I knew it, um, I was pivoting a little bit more to an agency model just in terms of having people help me. Um, but I was able to um, do better than I think the traditional um, stereotype about freelancers um, would lead you to believe that you can do as a freelancer. So um, yeah, so I wrote a, a, um, an article on my travel blog. So I have a couple of different things that I do um, also. I have, I'm an artist and um, that's my kind of first career and first love. So um, I do that and then I also have a travel blog which I kind of do for fun and I talk a little bit about um, like career design and life, you know, kind of not lifestyle design, but essentially, um, you know, things that kind of help you travel more. And so I wrote an article called How I Made 100K in my first 12 months as a freelancer. Um, and that kind of led to this conversation. So yeah, and I love that blog because it really combines your three loves. It's like the painting and then travel. And then you do talk about how your career has enabled that. But I think my the thing that stood out to me most in the article and was from a positioning standpoint, you said you actually didn't call yourself a freelancer. You kind of shied away from that term. And I know freelancer is definitely what we use among ourselves and when we meet, you know, new friends or peers, mm -hmm. but it's not something that necessarily needs to be your title when you talk to potential clients. So can you talk a little more about that? Yeah. Um, that was a pretty strategic decision that I made from day one. I've, I've kind of been um, like, not straddling, but I like I've kind of seen both sides of this world where you've got like the traditional business, like B2B corporate agency world. And then you've got this online business world where, um, you know, everyone can kind of create whatever they want. And sometimes we don't use the same terminology. And so I think it's important to realize, like, think about your audience and who you actually want to work with. What are the terms that they're using? Um, and I just kind of always felt like from before in that um, more traditional business environment, that the term freelancer generally either meant a creative freelancer who could, you know, bring in however much they wanted, depending on the quality of their work and their book. But um, generally, if it's like anything else, it, it, you kind of get this perception of someone who doesn't make a lot of money, who isn't bringing in a lot of revenue. They're probably barely scraping by. They're kind of like hunched over their kitchen table at night. Um, you know, just doing whatever they can kind of like not Fiverr levels of freelancing, but like, you know, I just, I realized that the term consultant was a much more um, accurate word to you just because when you're a consultant, you are generally advising, you're giving advice, you're recommending um, strategies to clients, um, and they sort of look to you as an expert. And that's really the role that I had been playing um, in my career before I went off on my own. And that's definitely what I wanted to do for myself at that point is work directly with clients in that consulting type of role. So 
that's why I chose that term. And I think it helped because people actually were searching. Like that's how I got my very first client actually was on LinkedIn. And she was searching the term social media consultant. So, so yeah, I mean, I don't know that she would have been searching for freelancer, like social media freelancer. Um, And specialist, you know, is maybe another term, but that is like a social media specialist, but that could be someone's job title. Like Mm -hmm. consultant meant someone who's kind of working directly with clients um, in that capacity. Right. And it changes your value from people are paying for your time. It seems like as a freelancer to people are paying for your ideas. And so they immediately have a lot more respect for both your time and ideas. Absolutely. And um, that's a really good way of putting it. I do provide services too. Like there is sort of a a time component um, built into this, but it also helps when people are paying more for expertise than just simple execution. Um, You can, you can charge a higher rate in general um, because the amount of time that you use, like I don't work hourly. This is another thing that I think has helped me, but um, I don't work hourly, but I use an hourly rate internally to calculate packages. So it is still like a trading of time for dollars, but you can use a higher hourly rate and then end up charging more in your packages as a result. Right. That's, that makes a lot of sense. It's like the perfect medium because you know how long something takes you and you can figure out to make sure you're not charging in a way that you would have to work a 70 hour week to survive. But at the same time, you're not handing it out so that clients can go, Oh, this much per hour. Wow. Yeah, they never need to see that. Right. <laughs> no client ever needs to see what your hourly rate is. You know, I, I feel like they would either think it's too low or way too high. Um, and it just sort of depends on the client. Um, but yeah, I mean, you just working hourly is never a good idea because it means that the client is then sort of like your boss where they're tracking your time and they want to know where every moment went. Um, and I just don't, I don't like that. I do think it's really helpful to track your time for yourself. Um, there's, there's no way to know your own profitability if you don't know exactly how much time you're spending on different projects. Um, and so like that can help you later when you're scoping out projects too, because you can look and see like, okay, I thought this was going to take me 40 hours, this one project, and it ended up taking me 60. So now I know I need to increase the, the price. Um, so, I mean, that was another thing that really kind of helped me have a reality check early on on like what it really takes. Cause I always thought before that I was really bad at estimating time, but either uh, generally I would underestimate time. Mm-hmm. And so this really helps you see that too. So that helps you figure out what that pricing should be as well. Yeah. Something you said was that when you started, you still made sure that you wouldn't need like nine to 10 clients to make up a livable wage. So it's like, you knew how long each client took and you didn't want to have like, at least for me, having tons of clients at a time is just overwhelming to my brain, even if they're mm-hmm. not taking a lot of time at my desk. It's like I have to keep space in my brain for that many clients at a time. So it's like you built your model around how many clients you would need to make a livable income. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, if you are charging an internal hourly rate of $20, $30 an hour or something in that range, like you would need a crap ton of clients um, in order to make up even a livable wage at all, um, much less something more close to 100k. Yeah, especially because um, yeah. hours aren't billed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and, and in terms of like, you want to hit a certain number with your um, annual revenue, um, which by the way, there's definitely a difference between revenue and your take home, um, which is not something I fully started grasping until probably a year in, even though I, I mean, I was, I had expenses, but you know, pretty low overhead if you're a services business. 
Um, so 100K revenue is not necessarily what you're taking home. Um, but um, anyway, 100K is really $8,333 12 times. So if you can bring in around 8K um, every month, like that really helps break it down a little bit more, I think, versus 100K feels like this really big number. Um, but that's over the course of 12 months. So if you break that down, how many clients do you need if you're charging $2,000, you know, for a monthly package, you know, you, you can figure out really quickly that you don't need that many clients. Um, it is good to have some um, diversified um, income in terms of more clients, but um, you know, at that point you're sort of thinking about, well, if I'm going to take on more clients and make more than hundred K, like, do I need to bring in help in order to, you know, take on some of these tasks. And so that's, that's really like what happened to me very early on. Like I started hiring contractors probably within the first like five, six months because I just like mm -hmm. creatively, I find it draining to do all of that, you know, social media content creation every single month. But um, yeah, I mean, that's just sort of how I, I was strategically trying to hit hundred K like pretty early on. I wanted to not exactly replace the salary of the job that had just laid me off, but I wanted to like prove that I could get to some sort of like um, yeah. healthy amount. So I just sort yeah. of worked backwards. That's, I mean, that's amazing. And something you said was that it, you find it draining to do the monthly content creation. And you said before that you didn't give away your best asset for free, you productized it and made it a mandatory investment. And that's the strategy, right? That you do at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, the way I work with clients and this is for social media clients, I do other things, but, um, I sort of lead with the social strategy part because that's a thing that people really, really need. Um, but I start every client engagement with a strategy playbook, a social strategy playbook. It is, um, it is, essentially something it's a strategy that is very data data centric um and we analyze exactly what you need to be doing to reach your business goals with social media but it's like a tangible product that you can hold in your hands in the end so um, a lot of times social media consultants or agencies will you know have some amount of like onboarding time that they calculate into their packages that okay i need this many this much time in order to just get ramped up um, with this new client understand what their strategy should be but they're not necessarily charging for that as a separate thing. Um, they just have like the monthly fee to manage social media. So um, what I did is I productized that into, it is it's a separate project fee. And I mean, I charge appropriately for it. It does take a lot of time to really get deep into the client and their brand and understand their audience and like what is actually going to resonate with people creatively in terms of the message and the content, but also drive you know, your bottom line business goals. And I think a lot of times people have a hard time, um, even social strategists who've been doing this for a while can have a hard time connecting those dots between social media activities and content and like your actual business and marketing and lead generation goals. Um, and so part of that strategy playbook is education for the client. Like what, what role can social media play to help you with those goals from, you know, top of funnel awareness and engagement and all that kind of fun stuff that people get into social media for to down to like actually driving um, revenue, driving business. Um, and so I, you know, I created a separate project for that and I charge clients for it. And I tell clients, you know, if you, if you don't want to commit to working with me 
beyond this strategy, that's fine. If you've got someone like even a junior social media specialist or some kind of team member that can execute, like by all means do that. Um, and that way this becomes sort of a standalone thing that they can hire me for to come in and set the strategy and then someone else, you know, executes on it or they can have me execute on it as well. Like that's sort of like their choice. Um, and I've only had a few clients that actually already have someone in mind or in place that can take the strategy and execute on it. Most of the time they still want me to do it, but I, I think it's helpful to me for positioning purposes that I can say, like, mm -hmm. I'm the strategist here. I'll come in and, and tell you like exactly what to do. Here's your roadmap and your action plan. And then, you know, do with that what you will. It will be printed and bound. You literally can hold it in your hand. So this is like your social media Bible, I guess, <laughs> for your yeah. brand. And that's such a win-win for so many reasons. Like you just said, it's education for the client. So not only is it helping them understand what they should be looking for in any future social media stuff, but also it's kind of, it's like communicating the value of the rest of your work and of your work just all on its own. And then it also opens up, opens you up to that extra revenue from clients who may not want to hire you on a month to month basis. They're mm -hmm. still, you're still getting that second stream of income. And that's so cool. Yeah. You said a lot of people don't um, build in that onboarding time. And yeah, I 100% didn't do that. Like the whole first year that I was freelancing, cause I was doing all this onboarding work, exactly like you said, and not charging for it. And then finally I was like, wait, this is really where my, well, I didn't come up with it. I talked to a business strategist and she was like, you need to be charging for this because you are spending a lot of time on it. And it is where the value of the rest of your work comes in. So I think it's really cool that you figured that out early and showed people that, Hey, my value is in these ideas and this expertise, which I'm sure a lot of times they're like, Oh, this person gets it. So I do want her to execute it. Mm-hmm. I think it's not just building it in, but also separating it into a tangible thing that has value for them. So, um, you know, I think it's one thing, you know, and this, this is a totally legit way to go about it, but it's one thing to build it into your first month, you know, whatever that project fee is, just like inflate it to account for that. Um, and it's another to um, sell that as a separate thing that people get value out of too. Um, and, and when you, when you start tracking your time down to the, down to the minute and down to the project, you realize like, if I can't bill this to the client, it's business development. And if I've already won the client, then why would I be still spending time on business development for that client? Like trying to win them. Cause that's, that's really the category that you have to place that bucket into. Otherwise it's like general office, like admin time. Um, so, so yeah, if when you start saying, okay, all the time I spend for this project goes into this bucket, this project in my time tracking tool, then you really see like, oh crap, like that's, I should have been charging like double for that. Um, so I definitely think that was helpful. Um, another thing though, that I want to mention is that now that social strategy playbook is a mandatory investment. Um, if you want to work with me, um, I started out by like strongly suggesting it. Like, um, but then I would have clients who were like, actually like I don't really I don't think I need this um, like can you just do like a mini strategy for me and you know I and I tried I did that like once I tried it and I just realized I'm still spending I'm still spending the time like I still need to do the deep dive I know like the quality of my work is such that I'm not going to do 
the, the quality of work that I need to do without spending the time diving into your brand and really spending the, the time it takes. It takes the time it takes. Um, so now it's a mandatory thing um, for clients that want to work with me in terms of social media management, content calendars, like um, sort of taking that piece of social off their hands, then they have to, they just have to invest in the strategy or like there's no point in talking further, unfortunately. So yeah, I mean, that makes sense because it's giving, it's setting up your relationship for later so that you know what the outcomes are and you aren't just, again, going back to working with clients who aren't really respecting, you know, the ideas and they really just want the time. Because, it does make them respect that more for sure. Yeah. And that, so what did something else that you talked about in your article was working on who you networked with and building a really strong network as soon as you moved to Dallas, like way before you were actually planning on freelancing or anything. But um, you said something about um, going deep. You like chose your contacts and your network really carefully. And then you created deep relationships with people, which is a very different attitude from going to as many networking events as possible and handing out your business card, like an insurance salesman. Because I know every time I go to a networking event, I get like seven insurance cards. I'm like, guys, I'm not, I'm not looking for this. Or financial advisors or real estate agents. Yeah. <laughs> real estate agents. I'm like, you, you don't know anything about me. <laughs> but, That's like the spray and pray approach on LinkedIn too, with these people that just send you like countless connection requests and they clearly have no reason to connect with you. Yeah. yeah. And I'm sure um, that, I mean, a big, a big difference in who you ended up working with and attracting as clients. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I moved to Dallas in 2011 and that at that point I was making a career shift. So um, I have an art degree and I was working um, in a different capacity altogether. I wasn't in, I wasn't in marketing. I had like sort of office jobs and um, sort of art world uh, adjacent admin jobs. So um, when I decided that I was making that shift and I was going to choose a day job that didn't drain me, that I actually enjoyed, I realized that I could put my skills to use with marketing. And so I, I did sort of attend as many different marketing events as I could, but I mean, look, I'm an introvert, like deeply introverted. Like I cannot, I cannot go to, um, you know, even more than one event, maybe two events a month. Like I just, Uh, I've got to be protective of my energy. And so what I did is I figured out what are the few groups that I really felt like were worth my time. So tried a lot of things at first, but then narrowed it down. And um, so I started going to social media focused events because I really started to realize, okay, within marketing, there is a specialty that I enjoy and want to um, go deeper into. So I just, I just made sure that I didn't miss any of those events if I could help it. And I didn't bother with the ones that were full of people just sort of like passing out their business card without wanting to actually create a relationship or, you know, have a natural conversation. So it did unfold kind of organically and over the years and, you know, and obviously like this is well before I, as you said, this is well before I started freelancing or consulting. Um, I did it just to support my career to help me with jobs because I knew that it's, it's very much like who you know. And within Dallas, Dallas is a big city, but um, the digital marketing world is, a, is pretty small within that. So people tend to know each other and that it would help me um, to find different jobs. And so that's, you know, that kind of networking is how I landed at the largest advertising agency in the country, largest independent 
advertising agency in the country. And I got to work on really big brands and that sort of helped my reputation going forward. Um, so, I mean, it, like I, I really, I find the idea of networking really draining, but I just focused on relationships and um, just, you know, and this is kind of like a value of mine anyway, just being like a nice person to people, trying to be helpful, being yeah. free with, you know, freely giving advice to people who maybe like are a step or two behind me um, and, and mentoring people. And I think people see that and appreciate it. And you just never know, you never know what relationship is going to come back around and help you. So as a result now, um, all of my clients are based in Dallas. Um, for, well, all of my clients were based in Dallas until the latest, but um, like that's, that sort of, it all comes back to a relationship that I created while I was here. So I focused deeply in my, in my specialty area and in my geographic area. Um, and I really think that that had more to do with my success the first, you know, 12 months than anything else. Like I was, I mean, I was really kind of burned out on jobs. When I got laid off, I was like, I cannot even imagine <laughs> like what I would go do now that I would be excited about other than maybe going back to the agency side and knowing that that would probably drain me. Um, and so it was like either that or I want to move, like I want to get out of Dallas. Like, <laughs> I don't know what to do. Like if I have to take some other job, like let's get out of here and go try see other places because I mean, I love to travel and I grew up as an army brat. I was always traveling. So I kind of got restless being here that long. Um, but then I realized, you know what, like if I actually am going to do this thing, like start my own business, work for myself, like there's no better place to do it than Dallas because this is where my network is. And every single one of the clients that I have now has come from that network that I built and started building, um, nine, <laughs> nine years ago. <laughs> Yeah. And you, or at least in your positioning, you aren't industry specific. You say specifically, we are industry agnostic, but you work with people who are like purpose driven and you use the phrase who want to make a dent in the universe. Mm -hmm. And so I love that you niched not in putting yourself in a box, but in saying, I want to work with people who share these values with me. And I'm sure that also was helped by creating those deep relationships and not just kind of knocking down doors yeah, I mean, they, they knew what I was about because these are people that have known me for a while. So, um, you know, I, and it, I struggled with this a lot um, when I first started because I've always heard the term, like the riches are in the niches, you've got a niche down, whichever your preferred pronunciation of that word is. Um, and I, I really just, I had a lot of experience in a lot of different verticals and industries. And I felt like there's, there's definitely, um, like I would feel stifled, I think, if I were to just choose, like, you know, for example, right now I have a lot of clients in the healthcare world, like doctors, clinics, private practices. And, you know, I mean, it, it kind of occurred to me, should I be saying I am the social strategy agency? We are the social strategy agency, like me and my team of, you know, for, for the healthcare and medical, you know, private practice, maybe not cash pay, but, you know, elective um, things that we're not allowed to do right now, um, you know, medical procedures. And I just like, I just, I don't know. It just doesn't feel right. Um, it, it, to me, it's more about like, are you trying to do interesting things in the world? Like, are you trying to help people, as, you know, as not just like a, um, you know, lip service to being mission driven, but like, are you actually trying to improve the world and help people's lives 
in some way through your products or services? And maybe are you even like launching something new? Like that's another thing that I think all of my clients have in common um, in some way or another. There's something new to talk about. There's a new story to tell. And that's part of what's prompting this look at our social strategy, like what should be refreshed here. Um, so I, it, it, I still kind of struggle with it a little bit because there are certain verticals that I have more experience in than others, but I don't ever want to say like, oh, I can't help you in this way. Like there's always that common thread with all of them. And it's really more about the qualities of the client and their own values. Are we a match that way? Yeah, exactly. I think a lot of people struggle with that because you're right. We get that advice a ton is that you have to be really specific about your niche. And I think that, yes, you should be specific, but it doesn't have to be. It can totally be exactly what you just said, that you share values and you have something in common because then there's then just an added layer of respect and trust between you because you know that you have the same goals, not only for like your life and in business, but just like for the world in general. And neither of you is like trying to just not in it for just yourselves. Yeah. Well, and too, like there's an aspect of what I do that requires me to be a little bit like um, emotionally in the game um, for that client because creative, like creative work, creativity, like requires empathy. It requires um, really immersing yourself. I think to do it well requires you to be emotionally sort of tapped in. And so if I'm having to do that for a client that just, you know, it's really, it's really just a, a company that, they, that was built to create profits and like, that's it. And it's something that I don't have a personal, I can't see having a personal interest in, then, um, you know, then it's hard. Um, but that is, I mean, that, that can go, that can be a very subtle thing. Like for instance, um, one of my clients is a fertility clinic. I, I don't want kids. <laughs> so, but I still can empathize with those, with those patients and with those families, those couples that are, that are struggling. So um, if I can, and, and they have a mission to increase fertility care, increase access to fertility care, make it more affordable, make it more, um, you know, just natural, more easier um, to, to obtain for a wider variety of people. Like, like that's something that I think is pretty cool. You know, there, there's a mission there. Um, so it, it doesn't have to be like, oh, I'm only going to work with clients that like I would buy. Like I would right. buy their product. That's or an service, important you know? distinction. It's not like you have to be your client. It's just you have to be able to relate to them in some way. And if you can find the words for that, then you've got a niche. Like if you can find the words to write down on your site who we work with, then that's all you need. I think I, I was like overthinking it before, definitely, when I thought I've got a niche down to like one or two verticals, um, which is like overthinking it, like kind of my thing, but. Um, <laughs> I think a lot of us do that. Yeah. Both overthinking and specifically overthinking that. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's probably, that's probably shared by a lot of creatives because I know a lot of the copywriting training I did when I was, I mean, like I used to buy copywriting training and books and stuff when I was in school and trying to learn. And it's like, that's exactly what they tell you. And there's no at least a lot of this more traditional stuff, um, they don't seem to care at all about that empathy and creativity. It's just like, oh, you just need these strategies, but you're a human. Like, you can't take yourself completely out of your work because if you could, then you could buy a copywriter at Walmart or a social media strategist. 
that's really what sets you apart too from being a freelancer versus um, a consultant um, or like a higher level creative freelancer for sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you. I think we've walked through a lot of the stuff that you talked about in your article. Is there anything else you want to share or talk about? Um, you know, one thing that I didn't really talk a lot about in the article that I wrote on um, making 100k in the first year is the difference between like freelancing and entrepreneurship. And there is, you know, I, I see this term entrepreneur thrown out around a lot, like in the online, you know, business world, in marketing, and um, you know, that's fine. Like, call yourself whatever you want. Like, I, I personally, um, am a little bit hesitant to use the word, um, but I think there is something about intellectual property and creating value that's bigger than just a one-for-one -one trade of an hour of your time for a service. And so, if you are starting to feel like you have a system in place, you've got a methodology and a process that is like something you created to make it easier to work with your clients or to get them better results, then that's the kind of intellectual property that makes your business have value outside of you and the actual time that you spend um, for services and execution. So um, thinking about it that way really helped me too. I think that that kind of goes back to the strategy playbook because that is, um, you know, like a, a trademarkable term. It is something that people seek out. They, they can only get it from one place, you know, so not everyone's building um, a business to sell it later, but like that's the kind of thing that people would be looking for is, um, you know, is this a business outside of just one person or a team of people who are providing services? Yeah. And um, even if you're not wanting to sell it, if you ever want to be able to take a two week break, you know, and not have a dip in revenue because you have a team or whatever. You're right. That's exactly what people need to be able to see. And you need to be thinking about strategically as opposed yeah. to just you are your business. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then when you start thinking that way, you know, it kind of opens up the Pandora's box of like, okay, well, I'm building something bigger than me. So what does that actually mean? Like, who, who do I, who do I want this? Like, what do I want to this business to become, who do I need to be then in order to lead that business to where it needs to go? So I would say like this journey to owning my own business and um, working with clients has been like a personal journey, <laughs> not just a business and professional journey. Like, you know, like you, there's nothing like owning your own business to force you to confront your fears and your issues and like all that crap that kind of weighs you down and you can kind of slog through life with a 95 and, you know, not really address some of those issues, but you, you know, the, the thing that's going to cause your business to, to fail is, is really you at the end of the day. So you've got to address those issues. They will come back. Um, so it's been a really, it's been a really interesting journey. And I think, um, you know, thankfully I, I knew that part of those issues that we tend to allow to weigh us down for women is typically money and, you know, asking for the right amount of money and, um, you know, trusting that we are worth that amount and, and not thinking, oh, they, you know, I don't think they can afford it. They're going to think it's too much. You know, that was the first one. That was the first beast that I, I chose to slay. And I think it really helped me a lot to, to focus on that and, um, 
and just sort of like think like what would a man charge for this like <laughs> that helps me quite a bit <laughs> yeah and something you just said like um something that helped me was remembering that I am not my client like mm-hmm. it just because I couldn't afford it when I was starting out or couldn't you know, wouldn't pay for this right now doesn't mean that someone else doesn't need it because I also wouldn't have hired myself when I just got out of school, but there was a company that needed me and was very happy to hire me. So it's, you got to think about it the same way. You're not charging necessarily what you would pay or what you feel like it's, it's all in the positioning and the outcome. And yeah, you'll be surprised who's willing to pay and who's not like who, who thinks something is too expensive and, and who's like, no, this is totally worth it. This solves a problem that I have. Let's do it. Um, so you got to stay out of their, out of their heads and out of their checkbooks and their accounts. Like you have no idea. You just don't know. And so you've got to just go in there with like, this is what it costs. Um, and, and for that reason, like when I started out too, I didn't, I didn't always ask like, what's your budget? Because I knew that the bare minimum that I could do it for was X and, um, you know, nowadays I, I do ask that because like, I don't have time to be, um, chasing leads that aren't going to go anywhere and that wastes everyone's time, not just mine. So I do ask, um, you know, or share like, Hey, here's a pricing sheet. Like here's a one sheet with like things start from this. Um, just so you know, <laughs> like, um, yeah, I think it helps to make sure you're on the same page, but you really just can't guess. You cannot guess. Yeah. You will be so wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I think I heard somebody say it one time as stop spending your client's money for them. Yes. Like, that's a good way of putting it. <laughs> yeah. I love that. And I love um, what you just said about, um, actually I lost my train of thought, but I know you said something about um, kind of your title and making sure that that's in their heads. And that's what we're talking about today. But it's their head. terminology, like what yes, they, what, what they call it. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Because I feel like a lot of people when they're starting, especially if they came from a corporate role like you, it's like, oh, I have to use the terminology that I would have used in this corporate role that like my, you know, peers understand. And you're not talking to your peers anymore. You're talking to clients and they are looking for to outsource this or hire a freelancer or an agency for a reason. And they're not putting this in HR. So like you don't want to use those HR terms. And I think that's something important to remember too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, takes a little research, but. Totally. Well, thank you. I think that's all the questions I had for you. Was there anything else you wanted to share, bring up today? Um, if you are never getting told no, you're charging way too little. Oh, that is excellent advice. Totally. You're right. Cause it scares people off the first time. Somebody's like, Ooh, you're so expensive, but no, it's very true. You don't want to be Walmart. You don't want to have the lowest price of anyone. Mm-hmm. If you only hear yes, then you need to seriously reevaluate <laughs> your, your prices. Your ego and terrible for your income. Mm-hmm. Sweet. I think that's a perfect, perfect advice to end on. Thank you so much. I'm going to end the live. Aha. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you.